Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is Episode 73. And as you all know, I have to do this at the start of every episode, and that is sort of explain what the Weekly Word Podcast is. Many of you have been listening for many episodes, but every now and then I get a few new listeners, and I want to make sure that they understand, hear, can see what we're trying to do here. And we're just trying to talk about all topics, endurance and ultra-endurance. Why do I separate the two? Well, ultra-endurance is more into the mindset. And physically, you're often doing very similar things as getting ready for an endurance event. But once you go into ultra-endurance, things become more mental. And so we talk a lot about mindset here. But we talk a lot about the endurance training, the endurance preparation, as well as the execution of races and events and adventures. We talk about nutrition and hydration and fueling. We talk about mindset for the workouts. We talk about what it means to be an athlete and how all of you are athletes. I love always reminding everybody that they are athletes. They are. They can be elite athletes. To me, the definition of being an athlete is your ability to prepare and think and be Um, definitive about your training and about your goals with regards to your events. You can be an elite athlete thinking and working and preparing for the Olympics, or you can be an elite athlete thinking and preparing for your first 10K. It's a mindset. It's an approach. It's a way that you view and how seriously you take it. And I'm not talking serious in a negative way. I'm talking serious that you care and it means a lot to you. And that makes you an athlete. And I feel very strongly about that. That being said, I had a great week this last week. Um, I spent a couple days in Los Angeles and that was a lot of fun catching up with a variety of people and athletes, but also recording a coach's corner with Um, rich role and uh, being able to answer a variety of questions that we got on Twitter via that um, and Facebook I think he also put it out there and uh, via those questions we answered a lot of things on the podcast and I hope to let you all know when that will be um, public when rich drops that podcast as he likes to call it but I also wanted to take that time and you not take that time, but take those questions and make sure I answer all of them in general um, on the podcast here. And that is because I feel a lot of those questions that we chose are helpful for everybody. Everybody that's listening, whether they have an endurance, ultra endurance event planned or are just curious with how this all works. And so I will be gradually working through those questions. A lot of them I've been working through on Twitter, but then since I'm not on Facebook, I will uh, get those from him and also use those as part of our material on this podcast. So for those of you new to the podcast, welcome. And yeah, that's about it. We'll dive right into some fun knowledge exchange and inputs I receive from all of you. Many of you being my athletes, many of the training logs and updates I get and inquiries I get and just listeners who want to know more and dive deeper into certain topics or things we've talked about in the past. And so that's how a lot of these things come up, where I'm reading training logs, workout log updates, 
and just general weekly updates from my athletes where there's a lot of questions. Today I talked to a few athletes on the phone because we have a variety of races coming up this weekend. So even from that, I use that for topics and questions on the podcast because again, I always seem to think that if you're asking it or if my athletes are curious about it or if people are curious about how this works, they're not the only ones. There's many more. So I hope with that, I can be of service and help for all of you to become better athletes, to become fitter, healthier, to enjoy this lifestyle even more, to be happy with being able to do it as well as to balance it all and feel good about how you're training, how you're present for the workout, for yourself, for your own time every day to have the best possible workout, but also to find time for yourself every day to work out, to listen to your body, to take care of your body inside and out. Spend some time thinking, spend some time listening to your body, and of course, spend some time exercising, training, getting the heart rate up, and doing some work. But being done with that, then returning back to your day of being who you are, um, a father, a husband, you know, with family and a career and work and all the other responsibilities we have in our day and our life and not letting this ultra endurance and endurance lifestyle pull away from that, but put us in better balance with it. And as I've talked to many athletes uh, and just also on the podcast with Rich, to me, balance is about that you're able to balance all three of them, not perfectly, but that you're still able to get in your time, you time, personal time, fitness and health time, nutrition time, thinking to yourself time every day, and then still be an outstanding partner, husband, father, still be an outstanding community member, still be an outstanding um, employee or employer, whatever that might mean, and that you're just, you feel good about your day and how you kept everything and your priorities in balance. So with that being said, what are we going to talk about this week? I go into a variety of topics this week all across the board, but I think there's some of them I know you will really enjoy. I talk about pre-race planning, how we put that together and what you might want to look for as you're prepping for your race plan. I talk about ambient body and temperature, and that means the temperature that we actually want to understand for when we're out training and, of course, eventually racing, but knowing the difference between what the temperature says and what it truly is on your body. I talk about why I love coaching so much and not a question of what it is I do, but instead the variety of people and events that we have this weekend. And I describe a few of them because this weekend is one of those of many that are just fun in the variety. As I was talking to athletes and going through their race plans and strategies and um, how they're looking to achieve their desired outcome, I, uh, I was like, wow, this is really amazing and fun to see this spectrum and variety of events. I talk about um, how every workout has an opportunity. And we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, but I think it's important to continue to remind us and talk about 
that every workout is an opportunity to be better, stronger, have a better mindset, and to see and feel and observe things that will only help us become better athletes, have better training outcomes, and of course, race outcomes in the future. And I use the example of one of my future SEALs who's getting ready for BUDS. I talk about going too hard. Um, that I'm just going to leave out there because that will talk, that will, that topic, that piece explains itself. And then finally, I talk about zone two recovery. Zone two recovery is something I use a lot with my athletes and I use it for myself. And I, I really think it's a very valuable um, input with regards to training and feel and observations. And one of the things I didn't add to that piece that I'm just thinking of now as I'm talking about it is the part on zone two recovery that many are surprised about is that it actually ends up being a very consistent time after um, having done it long enough that it doesn't increase beyond a certain point. But you'll know more what I talk about when I describe it. So with that being said, enjoy this week's podcast, episode 73. Many athletes ask me about a race plan, and we've talked about the race plan before on this podcast. But what I like to do, especially with newer athletes, but also um, some of my more veteran long-term athletes, still get this treatment, and that is I ask them to send me their race plan first. And it's important because it allows the athlete and allows me to see what the athlete already has envisioned, how they're looking for their day to go, and how they're looking to fuel and hydrate and how they see their day unfolding and flowing. And from that, I can then dive deeper into what's missing, what might be miscalculated or misinterpreted, as well as what we can do to improve that race plan. I found that it's very helpful over time um, with many athletes to not try to write it out for them brand new because if they're already doing 70%, 60% of the race plan and we only need to add 40%, it's easier for them to incorporate it, really think it through, um, sort of put it into their brains for race day when it's less items versus all new items or a totally different verbiage or vision plan of their day. And so that's also the fun of the exercise and that is the athlete sends me their original version one. Then I will go back with some edits and some thoughts and some ideas with regards to have you thought of this or what about this or what's missing here is this and maybe try that and then they'll rewrite it and incorporate it and work through version two and so forth and as we go back and forth it really helps solidify the plan it really helps um, them sort of also be able to envision it in their mind and then finally um, 
in the final version, for those that are newer to me, will then either have a phone call to review it or just go over the final plan one last time in email, text, or writing, or so forth with regards to the days before. So it allows a constant dialogue and back and forth over many days um, and for the athlete to automatically um, to spend some time daily um, on the plan and on how they see their day unfolding in an ideal situation. A lot of athletes forget um, or overlook the aspect of temperature on their body. So when you look at the temperature outside and you think of it with regards to your training, keep in mind that we are running, cycling, and swimming in the sun in most cases. Or when, even if we're in the shade, the times we are in the sun, our temperature will go up dramatically. And what does that mean? What that means is that we, and you can see this on a Garmin quite often, um, when on your bike computer or if you leave your uh, watch out in the sun or you see it on your wrist with regards to temperature. And what happens is that just because the air is 75, the sun on our body makes it 83 or 85. Um, I like to say this, when we're cycling, you know, and there's wind while we're cycling, so it's sort of also cooling off that Garmin, um, but you can see the temperature is way higher on that display while rolling versus the current air temperature. And many are seem to think, oh, well, it's just a 75-degree day. But if you look at your cycling computer, you can see it was actually 88 on our body, 85 on our body. And I'm not, again, the key here is not when parked, right, or not when standing still, that temperature on the display will go way up. Um, but while we're rolling and understand that that is truly the temperature on our body on a sunny day. And so just because it says 75, which is in the shade in most cases when they uh, report temperature or say temperature planned for today, understand that on your body it's a lot warmer. And in your planning for hydration and clothing and how you're going to do your intervals on a hot day or on that run and how you're going to sustain yourself with temperatures with regards to fueling, it all plays into those extra 8 or 9 or 10 degrees. If you're going to be in a fully exposed run on race day or a long training day, that's going to be a difference. That, uh, that's going to be a significant difference if you are in 8 to 10 degrees warmer. 85 degrees is different than 75 degrees. And you might wonder, well, gosh, today was only 75 degrees out. But I felt, it felt a lot hotter than that. Well, yeah, that's because, again, the sun on your body, even while moving, is going to be a lot warmer. So keep that in mind in your training. I see it especially in cycling. It's very important there. But of course, we have the display there to show us that too. I have temperature on my one of my displays because I always like to know that. It's important to me. Over the years, getting ready for Kona and a lot of racing in hot environments, but mostly my primary focus for the season was always Kona. 
I always wanted to know the temperature because I've always wanted to be preparing and simulating and getting my body and mind ready for 98, 100 degrees on my body. If you look at the temperatures in Kona, it says 83 in humid. Sure, it says 84, 85. Rarely does it get much hotter than 85 in Kona in, in October. But even at other times of the year, it's tropical. But what it truly is on our body, exposed out in those lava fields, is completely different, right? That is 98, 100, 103. And you see that when you're cycling out there. But again, knowing that and preparing for that and being comfortable with that and confident that I can train and fuel and hydrate and work and do my intervals in that, That's all part of my narrative as I go into the race, knowing I'm fully capable of doing my day in these temperatures because I've seen it, I've done it, I've trained it, I've simulated it, and I feel good about it. This week is a great example why I absolutely love endurance coaching, ultra endurance coaching especially, because of the diversity of events and adventures and races of my athletes. And sure, there's always something going on, and I know I need to be better about highlighting those opportunities and adventures and new growth um, to new distances that so many athletes are doing and the PRs and all that stuff. But I'm not one to go into those details every week. And the main reason behind that is because I already know and believe and see that what all my athletes are capable of. And I'm also a big believer with regards to the journey and how they got to the starting line healthy and what they learned and observed and their capabilities and what the the confidence they grew and the insights they gained and the fueling and the hydration and the mindset and the recovery and the sleep and their nutrition during the day in general, as well as their training and their their balance and the time they spend when they're training and going in inner, um, going more within and focusing on hearing their body and listening to their body and all those things. We've already won come the start line. We've already grown and progressed and gotten better before the event even starts, before the adventure even unfolds. But this week, I thought I'd share something, share the the diversity of it all um, with all of you. So I have a couple of athletes doing Olympic distance races. And so for an ultra endurance athlete and an endurance athlete to do an Olympic distance is actually quite challenging. And what gets hard about that is because we've been going at an aerobic pace and only slightly dialing up the effort here and there into the tempo zone three, maybe touching into zone four a few times in our training, our ability to push really hard in zone four and beyond for two hours is our ability is quite low because we're just not familiar with it. Is it somewhere in there? Yes. Um, Is it of a huge benefit to push that hard? Yes. Is it mentally extremely beneficial? Yes. So Olympic distance racing for an endurance and ultra endurance athlete is very hard. It's really painful. Sprinting and digging that deep 
and grinding and your lungs feeling like they're going to explode and feeling wanting to back off and everything screaming in your body is very hard for many of my athletes. So when they take on these challenges, as in many cases, as a training day, as a high intensity workout, it's 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 more of a challenge than what it sounds like. Oh, it's just an Olympic distance. Oh, it's just those, you know, three distances in triathlon put together over two, three-ish hours. Well, I'm here to say it's a lot harder than it sounds because of the effort. Now throw in that our expectations get all muddled because we think because we've been training more, we should be faster at the shorter distances. But only in triathlon, maybe a little bit in ultra running, does this come up. And that is because nobody ever expects Meb Kaflisi and an Olympic marathoner to suddenly run a fast 800 meters at the Olympics, right? Nobody says, well, I've been training 26.2 miles at four-minute miles, so of course I should be able to run a fast 800 well, relatively, yeah, to us off the couch and 800, yeah, they're a lot faster than us. But relative to their other abilities and their engine and what they're doing, they can't run a fast 800. They often can't run a fast 5K. But can they run their 5K speed for another eight times in a row? Yes, right? If you watch that two-hour project, um, from Nike, and you can see what they took it out in, in a half marathon, it wasn't that dramatically fast, but they can hold it for the second half, right? So again, in triathlon, a lot of us confuse our 70.3 and our 140.6, our Ironman training, with our ability to all of a sudden also be faster at the Olympic distance. That's not a reality. It's, we don't have the engine for it. We haven't built the engine for it. It's a completely different event. One is lung busting, go hard, zone four, threshold, and leg turnover, and cadence, and effort, and willing to swim yourself against a wall all the time because you're just grinding it out and pushing your, putting your head down, and it's your ability to push beyond the pain. And then the other is steady. Smart pacing, smart execution, wattages, running paces, heart rate stuff, right? It's completely different. It's actually a completely different sport technically and completely different approach in the training, in the stimulus, in the recovery, in the effects, in the strength, in the everything. Everything about it is different. So Olympic distances, um, we have uh, a couple of athletes racing. One, uh, one of them being in the Shanghai Triathlon Club, they're putting together their big Olympic distance race this weekend. And so I've been involved with the Shanghai Triathlon Club for about five years now, four, four years maybe. Um, and that's always a lot of fun to see a lot of newbies and a lot of um, beginner athletes that I've helped do that race. Then I have, uh, we have somebody, we, I, we, all of us, AIMP, <laughs> um, has somebody doing a um, ultra run, which is a pretty dramatic ultra run because it's called uh, Scenic Trail. And again, it's not a question of the distance. It's a question of the difficulty during the distance. And when you do an event that has, thousands and thousands of feet of climbing in a matter of, you know, 100K, 
and you have in this case 20 plus thousand feet of elevation gain that's pretty solid in a 113k run which makes it you know uh, 66 miles of running with 20 plus thousand feet of climbing so again truly an ultra endurance event what makes it even more unique again it's a nighttime start it's a midnight start so you start in the dark and while many 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 ultra runs start at 5 a.m in the dark for in many cases um, you are quickly working into the light and you are in your body's natural circadian rhythm starting at midnight and running six hours in the darkness to start this with that elevation gain, with technical descents and ascents, makes this a totally different ball game. And I'm excited to see how he does and how he sort of um, absorbs and soaks up this adventure experience um, and result because I have a feeling he's going to do really, really well because he's had a very, very consistent training buildup. I have two people doing Comrades this weekend. Now, Comrades is a legendary, legendary ultra-endurance run. It's one of the earliest sort of world-famous ultra-endurance runs. And if you're curious about Comrades and the story and the history behind it, which is absolutely fascinating, I mean, the honor and the integrity and the thought is behind why this race was put on and how it's done um it just tugs at your soul but it's a 90k race in south africa and it is truly a cool event with thousands of competitors and qualifying and you have to do the distances and certain corrals i mean it's legendary you think the boston marathon you think the new york marathon in the united states is a big deal Take a look online at the Comrades Marathon this weekend. It's quite an event and quite a cool thing to say you've taken part of, part in, in your lifetime. Um, and if any of you are looking for something epic to do, I would say Comrades definitely fits that bill. I have um, an athlete doing a 70.3 on his way to an Ironman. So what that means to me is a pretty solid um, good age group athlete who are doing our first 70.3 together and we're on a progression through this race in these critical weeks towards an Ironman in this case Lake Placid and so we are going to um, do things a little differently because of his training lead up and because of his the last few weeks and getting sick and some some other life events getting in the way we haven't had the the big weeks that i would really like him to get in um, prior to the 70.3 so that he could come down from those really big weeks have a really positive 70.3 event um, see how the fitness and the um, ultra endurance that he's built up can play itself out at half the distance and then have another little micro build going into Lake Placid and then really recover and absorb the work he's done and then explode into a great result at Lake Placid. We didn't have that. So the plan now has to be adapted and adjusted a little bit. And while the desired outcome of how I, we, him and I, want this weekend, the 70.3 to feel, we also want to make sure that we use the week 
still as a um, catalyst for good training and good development and the buildup of his plan for one last solid build for Lake Placid. And so we need to balance the two. And there'll be some um, back and forth between him and I with regards to, well, I really want to do well and feel strong and have a positive experience. And I'll uh, argue, well, we still want to be doing some serious training this week, albeit not that hard, but that we have the volume, we do a brief rest, a short rest, explode still at the 70.3 because you're capable of it. Remember, it's the typical what happens above the shoulders or below the shoulders, what's in your body versus what signals and what mindset you're pushing yourself to get that out of your body despite being tired, despite thinking you did a big week, right? But what have we talked about? Fitness is your ability to get out of your body what you still need to do despite what you've trained. Whether that means you still have to get the kids to seven lacrosse games and um, you know cook dinner and prep the house for a barbecue tonight, or it means you do getting to a major project at work or business travel and still executing great on that and just having done a huge weekend of training, getting right to the airport and living on the road for a week and not being completely shelled and yawny and hungry and, and edgy and can't focus at work. No, fitness is your ability to absorb that, put that away, move on. And the same thing in this instance. Let's do some training. Let's get through it. Let's quickly get a good night's sleep, get the right nutrients in our body, recover, do what we can to accelerate and absorb the recovery, and then still take that, put it behind us, and go out and execute a great day. Because I'll tell you, whether it's for this athlete or for all of you listening, How good does it feel when you still have a great day despite having trained bigger that week and you've got both effects? You got the training effect and you got the confidence building effect of, man, I had a good result and I trained big this week. I mean, that just gives me the double effect of thinking, wow, I'm pretty fit. I was still able to do a great race. And I trained big this week. Just think what I could have done had I not trained big this week. I'm on the right path, right? That there is the desired outcome. And then finally, we have somebody doing their first Alcatraz swim. So, you know, a ferry takes you out in the bay waters of the San Francisco Bay. You basically are in a ferry uh, a few feet off the, the shores of Alcatraz. And into that cold bay water, you jump and swim back to San Francisco. And while it's also this past weekend was escape from Alcatraz, the triathlon, just in general, the Alcatraz swim is the unique part of whether it's that triathlon or just in general, the opportunity to do some of these shark fest Alcatraz swims. And What's unique is that you're in this big city environment and in these rough waters and the history of Alcatraz behind it. And then your ability to jump off of a ferry, which is a pretty big jump off, by the way, um, into those waters. Um, This year, the waters aren't as cold as they could be, have been. um, I think it's uh, low 60s right now, so doable. And then off you go to swim against those currents and the tide back to the Yacht Club 
where the finish is. And you look on your breathing side, for many, is their right side, and you're looking at Alcatraz. And you breathe to your left side, and you see the you know, Bank of America building, the famous Transamerica Tower, the Bay Bridge, and you realize this is a pretty cool spot to do a 1.2. Uh, it's not quite a 1.2 mile swim. It ends up being a 1.2 mile swim because you sort of, the currents push you. And then oftentimes if the currents are too strong, you not only don't swim a straight line, you swim more of a triangle. But you also oftentimes overshoot the finish line because now the slack tide is pulling you out towards the Golden Gate Bridge and you have to swim backwards. So it's a fun challenge, but it's a unique challenge too. And it's always a fun day in San Francisco. But there you have it. That's just the weekend. You've got comrades. You've got an epically difficult and different trail run. You've got an Olympic distance. You've got a 70.3 and you've got an Alcatraz swim. I mean... That's what I love about it. And it's, it, it is a lot of fun. And what makes my coaching, a lot of people ask me this, like, what do you love about coaching? Well, first of all, I think there's not many coaches in the world who do the full spectrum of ultra endurance. There's ultra running coaches for sure. But going across this spectrum of athletes and work and adventures and expeditions and doing it myself makes this super fun right? Because there's always a new challenge. There's always a new input. There's always new research to be done. There's always new things to learn as the body of that athlete is adapting to the stimulus we're trying to give them. So that's the fun part. And, you know, a lot of times athletes come to me with all kinds of new adventures because they're the ones rummaging through the internet, finding these events. And there's a lot of times, don't get me wrong, I get envy, adventure envy, because I see these events that they're doing. I'm like, oh, that would be sort of cool. That looks sort of fun. Or how cool would it be to do that? So it keeps things really um, different and exciting and unique. And it keeps me on my toes for learning and discovering more and more and more about the ultra endurance world. What you bring to me and what you give me. And it allows everybody to get a different part of the coaching too. Some people need are physically 100% capable and able to push through these events. But then mentally, they're curious or are nervous or insecure. Running through the night. Um, on my third day, how will I feel? What do I do when, I, when this happens? Or I get edgy and impatient with this. Or I, get, I have these negative voices talking to me. There's always something. And there's always something we can work with. And you'd be surprised. You all would be surprised with how many elite and professional athletes have the exact same questions. The exact same questions as any of you and a lot of things that we talk about on this podcast. It's crazy. But the interesting thing is their questions are rooted in the same fears, insecurities, uncertainties. Just because they're doing it faster doesn't mean their fears of not performing, not finishing, the sacrifice of time they put into it their emotional care for what they're doing, that's their fears of not performing. Same as what we're, when we're doing our first. We did a first marathon, first triathlon, first 100-mile bike ride. We put time into it. We put effort into it. We extended ourselves out there to let people know that we're doing it, and they're excited to see us do it. 
And so the nerves and the insecurities and the questions and confidence are the same. You know, I get pro athletes that ask me, they're like, yeah, but I haven't done this workout yet. And I usually use that as a gauge to see if I'm fit enough to do the event. Can you believe that? They're professional athletes, but they still need a certain workout to validate that they're um, fit enough to do it the way they want to perform. I mean, of course, there are expectations, but the beginner has expectations too, not saying in the first event because oftentimes they don't know what to expect, but you know what I mean when we're, when we're beginners in the sport with regards to just starting out. And the, the consistencies between all levels of athletes are startling because it revolves around fear and confidence and the fact that we sacrifice time and emotion and effort to do this. Of course we want to do well. And so that's, that's the fun of coaching and doing all these different events, and I thought I'd share that with you. I just got out of the pool. Well, I, I swam first and then I coached. And I wanted to share an interesting insight, um, observation with all of you. And it helps with regards to all of you understanding and, and getting a better grasp of what it is you're truly training and how there's always, always opportunity in every single training session. Now, I talk about training sessions all the time with regards to the opportunities they present and the windows in time that they present in our day. They present a window where we can reflect and think about ourselves and focus on ourselves and listen to what our body's telling us and teaching us how to listen to our body and to sort of shake out the day and take a lot of stress off of ourselves and exhale and just be within ourselves and the thoughts and hopefully you're doing it in nature and giving us a, not a sense of meaning but a sense of connectivity to just us not taking care of others as so many mothers and fathers and family members for other family members, of course, do. Not being immersed in work and cognitive work and projects and responsibilities and boss and employees and deadlines. No, just us, just a window in time. So that's a unique opportunity, of course, every day in training. But what I'm talking about is the unique opportunity every day in training to make ourselves better and to know what it is we're getting ready for and why this session is so important. Every single session is so important towards that ending desired outcome, whether that's a race event, whether that's an adventure, whether that's an outcome. In this case, it's an outcome. One of my guys looking to become a SEAL, he's going to bud soon, and I had him doing a specific special workout this today at the pool. And I would say it was about 80 degrees, 85 degrees, 82 degrees in the pool area. We we're in the deep water in the diving well. And I first had him do the swim practice with me. Um, while I was swimming, he was doing his swim practice. And I had him do the swim practice a little bit differently when he rests on the wall 
Um, after an interval, he doesn't put his fit, feet down. He touches the wall, backs off the wall, never touching the ground, and quickly starts treading water and gets his hands out of the water. Not necessarily elbows out, but hands out. So that he's constantly in a fatigued exercise, non-resting state. So we're about 45 to 50 minutes into the swim practice and um, he finishes that swim practice and as you know the water temperature is 80 82 in this case i think it was it was pretty warm today um, plus the air temperature is 80 82 so it gets hot and when you're doing longer sets your core temperature rises you're getting hotter on the inside and then your outside is not cooling you that 82 83 degrees the sun's on you and so you are overheating you are definitely overheating now he's also not getting rest at the wall, so he's constantly under load and his heart rate is constantly elevated. His internal temperature is rising. Now, then I quickly had him walk over and jump into the diving well and we started working on treading water, um, doing treading work with regards to keeping medicine ball above our head doing treading work and then quickly getting out of the water and doing some burpees and back in the water and so forth. Now, of course, fatigue is something to be expected. But what happened next is where I almost lost my mind because I quickly went to use the restroom. When I came back out, while he was supposed to be in a five-minute tread, elbows out, arms out, um, not straight water, uh, straight arms above your head, but elbows need to be out. If I see the thick skin on the other side of your elbows in the water, we start over. And part of treading is so important. You need to get all that strength in you for buds, as well as your ability to carry things in the water, as well as just your overall feel to do about almost anything in the water that you do not get fatigued, you do not let your mind wander, that you stay in it. I come out of the bathroom and sure enough, look who's getting a drink. So the key here is to understand, it's hot and of course you're thirsty. But like I said, it's an opportunity to practice what we're going to be in a scenario for. Do you think that instructor down at Bud's is going to say, you know what, why don't you get out and get yourself a drink? You look like you're getting hot. No, absolutely not. And it just bangs open the door. It kicks open the door for all kinds of issues from there. Why? Because if there's a sign of weakness, if there's a sign of mental lapse, if there's a questioning aspect, as you go into that program, they will find it and they will kick that door in and they will sit on that point for days, for days and create a narrative around that, that you now don't have the capacity and the ability and the strength and the overcoming and the willpower and the mental fortitude and listening to your body's signals and, oh my gosh, are you okay? Don't you think you need some water? And being worried about dehydration and being worried about things happening inside your body where you need to be performing for somebody, for your team, no matter what. There's not going to be a time to get water in many of those instances. Now, of course, once you kick out the other side, 
these guys and girls in some cases, but these guys are very, very, very good actually about nutrition, fueling, and hydrating. They know what happens and their decision-making process um, and their leadership abilities and their abilities to um, perceive and pay attention to their surroundings if they're underfueled or underhydrated. And it's amazing how much they've advanced and gotten better about um, staying hydrated, staying fueled, staying rested, staying in the proper recovery and so forth once they're in the field, once they're on assignment and so forth. Um, they're pretty good with that. But in, in this case, as we're preparing for something that will come up for sure, it was not just a moment of weakness, it was a decision to get out of the pool, get yourself a drink of water because I wasn't there, and then thinking that in any way that that's okay. And the point I'm driving home here is it is another opportunity for all of us in all our training, training, right? Training, we're training something to overcome, to understand, to learn, to observe, to, uh, to feel what happens when things go wrong. I'm cramping. Well, guess what? If I'm cramping in a race or if I'm cramping under duress or if I'm cramping in buds, I am not going to therefore quit and stop because again, that'll be a point of weakness. How do I quickly, how do I um, calmly stretch this out? deal with it, compensate, make the muscles work around it. Um, what can I do in my treading to deal with that toe cramp, to deal with that calf cramp? Because guess what? I don't want to be kicked out because I was cramping. I worked for months and years to get to this point, And now a cramp got me to ring the bell. No. Same thing for us in our training. I worked for months worked, sacrificed weekends and time and little league games and church expedition and all kinds of things and work and um, experiences with my family in order to do this event. And now because of a stomach distress, I'm walking or I would drop out. That's training. Every single time there's something in that workout that's an opportunity to overcome, to learn, to observe, to be stronger, to realize that there is something beyond this that I can pull from it. There is a nugget here. There's always a nugget. Sometimes there's a huge nugget, right? And you feel great afterwards going, man, I learned a ton today. Other times you have to find that nugget, that morsel. But there is something in that workout that taught you something, that taught you something to be a better athlete, to have a better mindset, to have be better prepared for your desired outcome. And this was just another reminder of how for all of us, there is always a better outcome on the other side of a training session. Which brings me back to last week's discussion where we talked about being vigilant and holding the line. If you don't get that workout done, you missed another opportunity to learn, right? We don't want to skip the workout. We don't want to skip if we're limited in time, even a window to just do something because even in that, I will come out ahead. I will come out better. 
I will be better prepared. I will feel better. I will gain confidence. I will feel good about my consistency. I will feel good about having reconnected with my body. There's always something. Always something. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. That is the word that I really have come to enjoy lately. And I use for self-talk, for my own training. Be vigilant. Do not allow anything, any voices to convince me to not be vigilant, to not get the desired outcome, not only of this session, but of the big picture of my progression forward. Another way to think of the being vigilant is to think of it as nothing ever goes well if you have to give it your all. Because then, in this case for the buds guy, the instructor senses weakness and will start focusing in on you. So you need to be in the physical and mental condition to be middle of the pack, right? To not stand out and getting stronger but not in over your head and hanging on. And so if we take that nugget and unpack that a little bit of understanding how that type of training of not standing out also applies to ultra endurance training and our mindset and our prep. If you're going too hard, if you're giving it your all, if you're in over your head, things start falling apart. Technique, form, posture, fundamentals, decision-making, right? Nutrition, hydration, pacing, the mental game of doubts, motivation, all that becomes, comes way more into play and becomes a factor when you're in over your head and giving it your all. And you might be wondering, well, what does that mean? Of course, I'm racing. I'm supposed to give it my all. One, if you're giving it your all in racing, it should be at a pace and a thought process and an outcome and a deliverable with regards to your body that you are still knowing and in control of what you're doing. Because if you're racing and giving it your all, and you still have five miles to go, or 30 miles to go, or 60 miles to go, you're always managing the distance remaining versus output versus um, do you have the energy and fueling and hydration and the prep and the plan to get to the finish line. Whether that's with regards to a result or a placing, or with regards to just finishing. So there's a danger there that if we dive in too deep and we just let go of all inhibitions, the outcome will not be good. And the same thing in training, right? We don't want to be in over our head and hanging on. Now, of course, there's times where we want to give it our best effort and not look at numbers, and not look at pace, and not look at heart rate, and not look at watts, and all those inputs. But those are very short periods, maybe 10, 12, max 15, or 16, or 20 minutes. And that's usually in a controlled environment, where we're looking for a different outcome, and things aren't going to go wrong like that. 
and we're preparing and we're prepping and we're training our body to do that strong and deep of an effort to have that specific outcome, which then in turn actually means you are in control because you are dedicated to that best effort to blowing up. But what I'm trying to say is nothing ever goes well if you have to give it your all. Because you want to be in the physical and mental condition of getting stronger, not being in over your head and being able to absorb the training with good fundamentals, good technique, good thought process, good control, good observations, good feedback, good listening skills in your body and in your motions and seeing yourself do it. That's a bigger picture approach that you want to keep in mind at all times. And part of this training discussion, you definitely want to keep that in mind. Am I in over my head? Am I doing this too hard? Am I flailing? Am I falling apart? And if I am, is that the desired outcome? I would say 98% of the time it isn't. So the question that comes from there would be, well, if I'm doing my zone four, zone five intervals, isn't that going hard or in some cases too hard because my heart rate is showing me um, resistance. It wants to stay lower and I have to push harder and harder just to get up in that zone in order to do that interval successfully. Again, that is an outcome where we want a certain stimulus and hopefully we can still maintain control for that zone four, zone five, VO2 max interval where we're not going too hard that we give up control of form, technique, posture, fundamentals and such. And if that is the case with regards to getting ourselves into that zone and having to go too hard that we lose control, the process of adaptation, the sense of our body actually um, settling in there and having the workload be absorbed, then absolutely we need to listen to our body and think of why it is so hard today. What is going on? Are there signals being sent that I'm fatigued, I'm getting sick, I'm low energy, I'm dehydrated, I'm loaded from other stresses in my life? It's my third workout of the day. It's my second workout of the day. There's a lot of inputs there. And on the one hand, we don't want to overthink that and just go do and execute. But on the other hand, we want to be able to take those insights after, write them down, Note them, fill them out in the log so that this doesn't happen day after day after day after day. But if it is that hard and we get into that zone, and most of the time, zone four, zone five, VO2 max intervals are so short three, four, five, six minutes, two, three minutes, um, max 12, 13, 14 minutes, especially if they're part of a, a multi day workout progression in a mini cycle. Um, those are ones that we still can maintain control, maintain our observance of us being in that effort level, and again, not going too hard and not being in over our head. 
And it's good for us at times. Like I said, 98% of the time, it is something not good. But those few times where we really need to dig deep and get into that zone and force ourselves, we always want to be thinking control. Am I in control of what I'm doing? And of course you are. You're the one putting yourself into that heart rate zone. Now, is my posture right? Is my form right? Is my stride right? Is my pedal stroke right? Is my swim stroke right? Is my reach right? Is my row right? Is my back straight? Are my fundamentals good? All that stuff is part of that process, which actually shows you're not hanging on. You're not going too deep. You're not in over your head because you're thinking it through. You're still present and doing all those cues of smart training, observant training, specific training, deliberate training versus in over your head. Z2 recovery, that's something that comes up a lot in conversation with my athletes, and I think it's helpful for everybody. Um, I really like this way of defining recovery. So Z2 recovery, when I write that in a lot of my athletes' workouts, is that I want the athlete to have their heart rate fall back into their zone two. And what's nice about this is, A, um, you get the appropriate rest recovery from an interval that your body is signaling it needs. So that's a great thing, number one. Number two, when you fall back into the zone, don't just wait to see it there for a millisecond and start your next interval. Give it three or four or five seconds because that way you know it's settled in that zone. Um, I actually call it zone two 30-second recovery in some cases or zone two one-minute recovery or zone two you know, 15, which is 15-second recovery because I, I define that by wanting to see the heart rate in that zone for 15, 30, or 60 seconds. Now, what becomes really nice about this over time, as well as in the workout, is that over time you see that um, your recovery time needed to fall back into zone two gets quicker. So you're recovering quicker, your heart rate responds quickly to resting, walking, jogging, shuffling, whatever, um, even swimming by stopping, cycling by coasting. I mean, it can be done in a variety of ways. So your time to recovery is quicker. So that's a good sign over weeks and months of your zone two recovery um, data. The other thing is what you'll see is within the workout is that the time it takes you to recover in zone two. So to go from that zone four interval, to go from that zone three, zone five, whatever interval, and sit in zone two for 15 or 30 seconds as the recovery takes longer and longer. Let's say you're doing eight times three minutes at zone four with a zone two 30 recovery. So you're getting the recovery time from zone four by the time it gets to zone two, plus that 30 seconds of zone two recovery. Now you'll notice as you go through those eight, min eight intervals that it takes you longer and longer to get to zone two. And that's just, again, a very clear way to signal, to read the signals of your body, telling it in a natural way in its own way versus a timed way 
how long it needs to recover to zone two or to any number. You can, you don't have to use zone two recovery. You can just say, you know, um, X heart rate. But as you progress through the intervals, through the set, you can see, wow, this is costing me more and more because it's taking me more and more time to recover. And so from there, it's another gauge of your fitness. And I like it a lot because it's recovery um, insights. And so you can monitor this in different ways with how you, if it is full stop and easy jog, how that affects your Z2 recovery. Um, walking and full stop, things like that. Drinking and eating full stop. A lot of times in races for athletes and we're doing some longer stuff, I often, not often, I shouldn't say that, I occasionally give an athlete a zone two recovery section in their race, you know, in a marathon on an Ironman, in a, a super long run. Why? Well, because... Oftentimes, when they're fit enough, that's still a shuffle or a jog, but it allows their body just to take a reset and a um, opportunity to recalibrate, to drink, to eat. And you can see, let's say it takes you two minutes to fall back to zone two, then you sit there for a minute, and then you gradually increase the pace again. It's a very natural way for the body to go through the zones and recalibrate itself backwards and then have its own natural timing with increasing pace and speed and effort again. Um, and that knowledge of how long it takes, as well as if running versus walking, not running, but shuffling, jogging, just an easy jog, um, is that knowledge helps you because you can see for intervals as well as for your racing, if I just fall back to a slow jog, I can quickly recover. Um, it has a has a good effect with regards to prepping me for the later miles. It allows me to continue to run, but absorb calories maybe. Um, sometimes when we're in running races or um, our effort is a little bit higher on the back end of an Ironman, let's say we're really running, running, um, we're that type of fit and that type of um, strong athlete, falling back a little bit, slowing down while still maintaining some sort of movement and pace towards your finish line. Um, that confidence helps you take a break and eat and drink and fuel up and hydrate in order to then make a surge or make your pace or make your effort for the last 10 miles, let's say. But yeah, so in training, I really, really enjoy zone two recovery. I do it a lot for myself. Um, and it's different than fartlek. It's different than um, moving different paces it truly, because all those are time-based, right? You say three minutes on, one minute off, right? But zone two recovery, it increases, and it should, for all of us, it should increase the recovery time the further you get into the set. So on those eight that I was describing, that's also nice because it makes it more achievable and successful for you because each time your body is resetting to its own natural number of zone two versus sometimes we're not even fully recovered yet or the heart rate isn't coming down yet. And so that next interval might not be as crisp or is a little compromised. And again, we're looking for adaptation. So if we need to take a little bit longer rest in order to simply execute that next zone four, zone five, whatever VO2 max interval, 
Well, then that reset of our body in its own natural way is very, very insightful and helpful because we just want the adaptation of zone three, four, five, whatever VO2 max. We're not looking for a double adaptation of reducing rest and doing the zone four or zone five. We want effective zone four, zone five with good form, good turnover, good posture, good cadence, good everything, good technique, but also get the proper rest. So we can't create intervals and stress on rest and stress at the same time. I hope that makes sense because the performance gains and the, the stimulus is stress plus rest. The stress is the interval. Zone four, zone five, VO2 max, whatever, zone three. The rest is not supposed to be stressful. And therefore, if we need two minutes to fall back into zone two and then sit there for 30 seconds or whatever the definition of zone two recovery is, we then are giving ourselves what our body truly needs for recovery in order to have the next stress of the interval. So... Yeah, zone two recovery, it's a very helpful format. Uh, and I don't know how many coaches use that, but it's something I really like to use, especially for my more experienced athletes, because they will um, apply it, not a question of correctly, but they will not get bothered by the uh, the, the confusion it creates because your your time of rest definitely increases and you question your fitness <laughs> and so forth. But also um, on, on runs and so forth, when we're doing it, maintaining form. And, and oh, this is the other thing. With zone two recovery, if you're not at a level of fitness that you can actually jog the recovery, it starts messing with your mind. That's what I meant. Because you're stopped or you're walking. And that time walking increases in order to fall back to zone two. And if we're not um, pretty adapted to zone two training, then that walking time goes up dramatically and it's frustrating. So um, yeah, zone two recovery. I know I'm going to get a bunch of questions on that one. <laughs> or a lot of you will want to know more and how to apply it because it is a pretty um, intriguing way to do intervals because you can see your fitness improve as over time, the time it takes you to get back into the zone two zone um, decreases. That's a good way to see, feel, observe fitness. All right. Well, that was another good one. I hope uh, you all enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening as you do this far into these podcasts of what is 90% of the time, maybe even more, just me talking. But again, if there's nuggets in there or there's pieces in there that are helpful, I'm happy with that. And that's the only outcome I'm looking for with these podcasts, that you all feel that there's some value to it. And I already know that there's value to me because... Not only have I gotten great feedback from so many of you, but also I love getting all this information out there. And at some point, somebody is going to find value in it and pull nuggets out of it. And I just like this brain dump every week of 
being able to get everything that I've accumulated over many, many years of coaching and doing it myself as well as being coached, um, I'm getting that out there because I've been fortunate and lucky and in the right place at the right time to have some great coaches and people around me and who've always supported me and sort of just given me free knowledge and I love to be able to share that now as well. And again, I know it sounds a little, not cheesy, but it sounds um, quite familiar these days, but to be of service and just to feel good that I know somebody is getting a lot of value out of it. So have a great week, everybody. As always, never hesitate to send me an email. I, I would say right now I'm averaging about 20 to 25 emails a week of many of you listeners sending me very nice emails of saying what you're enjoying and how you enjoy the podcast and what parts of it mean a lot to you. But also, please don't feel um, any hesitation to send me an email of what you don't like or what I could do better or what you would like to see more of or what do you think is missing because your input and your feedback can just make this a much better podcast for everybody listening. And that's, again, the main thing that we're trying to get out of this. Help us all have a better outcome, have a better forum to discuss some of these questions so that you can continue this lifestyle, continue to be healthy, continue to take good care of your body on the inside and out, take good care of your mind as well, to be sane in this, this busy world that we live in. And again, for you to be better tomorrow than you are today in many aspects, because you already know, having listened to it this far, that this podcast hopefully made you better today than yesterday. So have a great week and thank you so much. I appreciate all of you.